Your service matters. Whether you're in the military or you're a journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters when you serve. It's about a purpose-driven life. People wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? And I said, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? We all show some form of valor. Common people doing uncommon things. Loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage. They lay down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast. Why? Why did you do it? What impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller. Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution. We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this experiment that we call the United States of America. We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values. We can continue to make this world a much, much better place. Welcome back to the latest edition of the American Valor Podcast. My name is Nathaniel Cameron. And I'm Tyler Buckholtz. And we thank you for joining us for our latest conversation. On the American Valor Podcast, we seek to educate and inspire you, our listeners, with acts of valor. Supported by the Bob Feller Foundation, embodying the traits that National Baseball Hall of Famer and United States Navy Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller himself lived by. Traits such as citizenship, service above self, and commitment to country in a time of great national need. We are very excited to welcome the latest guest today, a retired Navy Command Master Chief. He retired at the highest enlisted rank in the United States Navy. Welcome to the American Valor Podcast, sir. It's an honor to be here and talk to you guys. I'm pretty excited. We're excited as well. Uh, will you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Yes, I spent uh, 33, right around 33 years in the Navy. I joined back in 1984 and I retired uh, the beginning of 2017. I'm from Chester, Pennsylvania originally. And um, when I retired, I retired as the Command Master Chief uh, of uh, Naval Sea Systems Command. And uh, I, I my actual retirement ceremony was in Philadelphia. Uh, one part is because uh, I'm a history fanatic. And, and since I'm from Chester, Pennsylvania, which is uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the birthplace of the Navy and Marine Corps. And the ship that I, I uh, retired on was the Navy's newest um, naval vessel. They carried Marines. So uh, the uh, USS John Murtha. So 
that's part of a, a connection that a lot of folks didn't realize. They thought I was just going back home to retire, but I wanted that connection also. Uh, I've served on um, aircraft carriers, uh, Nimitz, George Washington, and I was the Command Master Chief of the Dwight D. Eisenhower and uh, destroyers, uh, frigates, and uh, miscellaneous command. So all different types of platforms uh, as far as ships go. And I was a, we, we call in the Navy during that time, a company commander. Today it's called a recruit division commander, but that's essentially a Navy drill instructor. So I was a Navy drill instructor as well. So I've had a pretty, pretty uh, phenomenal career. Do any memories stick out to you from your time at basic training? Oh, some, well, so I, there's a, there's a person actually that sticks out that was, um, I thought was uh, very impressive. Uh, a guy by the name of uh, Jimmy Booker, who later on uh, in my career, I got to know personally and, and, um, in fact, he is the uncle of Khalil Mack, the uh, Chicago Bears football player. Um, but I, I remember, so I guess one of my memories, um, and it's not as much about training, but just marching in the rain without, a, without an umbrella. That's something that, believe it or not, I think about that a lot marching in the rain because I went to boot camp in Orlando and during January in January and I never re really remember being soaked but I always remember marching in the rain and I actually was the guy who called cadence uh in boot camp also so that was that's another fond memory and you mentioned earlier uh some of the aspects of your career and your retirement uh you had quite the unique retirement as well could you tell us about that story <laughs> so I guess the the uh, the fun part for most folks, and definitely my mother-in-law, I um, I had a traditional shipboard uh, Navy retirement ceremony, um, but during my remarks, I proposed uh, to my then um, girlfriend. Um, she accepted. Um, she said yes. My my youngest daughter. Uh, is clearly heard on a video asking, is that a yes? And she says, she said yes. And then when I was piped ashore, uh, again, which is another traditional way to retire on board ship, uh, normally right after you're piped ashore as an individual, normally you're piped ashore with your family. Um, so what I did after I was piped ashore, I actually had a addendum to the script, my retirement script. And when I came around, I passed it to the, uh, to the uh, MC, uh, the master of ceremony. And, and he read the change script, which said that uh, we've had all kind of nautical events today, bell ringing, all the other popping circumstance and uh, everything but nautical knot tying. And that was the hint for, and he said, uh, normally I would say that uh, Master Chief Exum will be piped ashore with his bride, but since he's not married, and since Dawn said yes, 
he wants to fix that right now. And so um, we actually had a wedding right then and there. A buddy of mine who was, uh, he actually did the invocation and benediction. Um, he was a, a command master chief. I'd known him for 20 years and he was a preacher. And so days before I asked him to bring, um, since he was licensed to conduct the ceremony, I asked him to bring all of his stuff. And I never told him why, but he just said yes. And he brought it and He's the one that uh, did the vows. I got married, engaged and married at my retirement ceremony. That's really cool. I was, uh, I was half expecting you to, to say that it was kind of spur in the moment and someone just went online and got ordained real quick on one of those quick and easy websites. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I tell you, uh, um, there's, so the, the questions that's, that's been asked over and over again was who all knew. And so my, my youngest daughter and I are very, very close. There was a, there were, was a group of folks that expected her to know and she had no idea. Um, at my graduation, my classmates from high school, the uh, 1983 class of Chester High, they were there. And there were a few of them that I was very, very close to. And everyone thought that uh, one or two of them knew and they didn't know. And so no one knew. And and I guess what made it all is was uh, uh, I actually, uh, had a wedding cake with a wedding topper, had wedding gifts. Um, my, my wife had the veil, the whole works, but uh, no one knew um, what was going on or what was going to happen. Um, the only person knew was the lady at David's Bridal in Springfield, Virginia, who I bought the veil from. And she's the only one that knew because I told her and, and she didn't know anybody at the ceremony. So I introduced her to my wife um, when we got back to Virginia, uh, probably about a week or so later, because everyone still wanted to know well, who knew and, and no one knew. That's certainly a special and unique story that you were able to retire from the Navy in that way. Um, as you were talking about your retirement ceremony, as a command master chief in the United States Navy, what what do you tell someone that means to serve in that role? Well, it's the it's the pinnacle position um, when it pinnacle enlisted um, position. When you're a command master chief, you're you represent all of the folks at your command. Now notice I said all of the folks. Most folks that you'll talk to, they'll say folks, they'll replace folks with sailors. And, and even to the point they'll say enlisted sailors. But the organization that I retired out of uh, had over 70,000 people. And it was uh, um, out of that 70,000, I think uh, 15 maybe were actually uniformed folks. So for me, when I look at um, um, being the command master chief of an organization, of, an, of the organization, um, uh, especially an organization that large, 
my focus was every sailor, every Marine, and every Department of the Navy personnel and their family that was uh, assigned to our organization because we were a global organization. And uh, so we had, we had families um, that were uh, overseas. So my focus was always um, um, everything that, that affected their, their, their careers and, and their livelihood, quite frankly. What were some of the challenges of representing such a diverse and large group of people? Were there, were there some things that made your job hard and some things that made your job rewarding? Well, rewarding. So I, I think um, the organization that I retired out of, uh, Naval, sea Systems, Naval Sea Systems Command, I always refer to that organization as the NAVC family. Um, and so what I noticed at the headquarters was that uh, all of the folks there at the headquarters alone knew each other, even if they didn't know each other's name. So I was there at a, at a unique period in the organization's history. Um, NAVC is where the Navy Yard shooting occurred. And so that build the building where that's the NAVC headquarters, um, I was assigned to that building. So at the on the day of the shooting, I was the command master chief for the program executive office for ships. Um, and then weeks later, I became the NAVC command master chief. And so either way, I was totally um, focused on that organization because a lot of the, uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the casualties and the victims of that shooting, uh, a few of them were, um, although they all were NAVC, but a few of them were specifically from PEO ships. So my focus that day was on, on the folks from PEO ships. Now I wasn't there that particular day. I was actually on a selection board um, in Baltimore. Um, however, I, I, I'm of the belief that had I been there that day, I'm not sure we'd be talking today um, because as a command master chief um, and a leader at that level, we're trained to run towards sound. Um, when I was the command master chief on board the aircraft carrier, there was nothing that happened on board that ship that I wasn't a part of. And especially if, if, if something was, was going on and that's in every, every mission area. Um, and, and that included my command master chief tour on board a destroyer as well. Um, part of that also comes from serving on board frigates. And because when you serve on board a frigate, you are involved in everything on board a frigate. Um, whereas carriers most times have specialists in different areas. But uh, when I went to a carrier, I had just walked off a frigate. So 
I had uh, no under no understanding of um, compartmentalization. All I knew was if if it if something happened, I wanted to be a part of it, and uh, that's the way that I was trained. Um, so that's that that mindset carried over throughout my career, even into uh, uh, NAVC. Um, and then afterwards, um, in fact, I attended every every memorial service except for one. There's only one memorial service out of all the victims in the NAFC shooting that I did not attend. And, um, and then what we did, um, I guess in October, the end of October, we returned all of the essential personal effects to all of the folks that were in building 197. And that was, um, I'd like to say it was a monumental task. However, uh, because of the commitment and devotion of the team um, that was, that, that, that volunteered to be a part of it, um, we made it happen. And there were, uh, there were two captains, two Navy captains on the team, and the rest were chief petty officers from the National Capital Region which was awesome. They came to support us. Because um, now when we talk about the chief petty officer and the credibility of the chief petty officer, I'll give you an example. When, um, when NAVC was trying to decide how to return all of the personal effects to, um, back to uh, the folks that worked there, um, there was a discussion about hiring some company to come in, contractor, to come in and, and return it. And naturally with the with, with uh, some of the personal effects, uh, you, you uh, it was amazing. People had thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in cash and in checks and other personal valuable items in their desk that they literally just up and left when they heard the shooting. So those folks didn't want some contractor to come in so there was a, someone asked, could the chiefs do it? And naturally, you know, as the command master chief, I said, of course we do it. And the, the, uh, the folks that, that worked there were ecstatic because of the integrity and the trust, the integrity of the chiefs and the trust that the, the employees had. And so they were stoked about us going in and I'm going to tell you, it was from things as simple as flowers and plants on their desk that we return to, uh, um, I know one lady had one picture of her daughter who was deceased. It was the only picture she had of her daughter and we returned that. Um, and there were folks that, uh, we had another uh, gentleman who was a prison, he ran a prison ministry and all of his materials was in a backpack. Uh, we returned that to him and the stories go on that are, that are similar, you know, though that's how, you know, when people up and left that building, they, they just left. So there were car keys. There were people that were closing on houses and that's why there were checks. 
there were people who literally had just cash in their drawer for whatever reason. And, and we, we um, returned that to them. And that was a proud, that was one of my very, very proud chief moments in, throughout my, in my career, quite frankly. Yeah, and I, I grew up in, well, I still live in Northern Virginia. Both my parents actually at one point worked uh, at the Navy Yard. Mm. Um, so uh, that, that story kind of hit home with me because I still remember my dad coming back and telling me about it, how, what happened at his workplace. Um, yeah. So I think the fact that everyone trusted you guys to go back in and get their personal effects and, you know, you guys were able to take on all that extra work and you did it proudly kind of speaks to the idea of chief petty officer uh, that Terry, Splain, uh, Terry Spain explained to us when we talked to him and the attributes that Bob Feller himself uh, showed with signing up for the Navy. Um, some of the things Nathaniel touched on earlier. Uh, so one of the other traits that is associated with Bob Feller and chief petty officers is valor. Um, what does the word valor mean to you? So valor, valor is an interesting word because it's, it's often associated with courage, bravery, and, and oftentimes um, with courage and bravery, um, courage and bravery are seen as um, monumental, um, you know, events, you know, to, 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 um, inner, inner, like, for example, as I said, I'm trying to run towards sound and had, had I been there and done that and maybe even passed, um, there were folks that would have call that an act of valor. Um, but I'm going to tell you that uh, um, courage, courage is just doing the right thing at all times. And, and that's where I look at valor. Because I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm, a, um, I'm a person that kind of studies words and, 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 and their uh, you know, etymology of word, words. So I look at valor and its relationship to the word values, right? And so the Navy's core values are the most important thing when, when you're in uniform, um, when you're in a Navy uniform. And, and quite frankly, I believe in those core values, even though I'm retired as I apply them to my life. And so when I think of acts of val valor, I think those same acts are connected to the, those core values. So I look at valor and values is, is very, very um, inter interconnected. And so the Navy's core values are honor, courage, and commitment. And I believe if, if you are a person who is honorable, committed, um, and courageous, then that's what valor is. That's how I define valor a person who is those three things. As you're talking about your definition of valor and including the word values, something that, you know, I think guide people's actions in life. Yeah. I think there's this idea within the leadership community, uh, people like John Maxwell talk about leadership as adding value to other people. Yes. What's your definition of leadership? My, my definite leadership is, is, 
is a little different from everyone else's, but it is, it is about adding values to others because the word, you know, there's a lot of times when folks will ask, well, what word do you associate most with leadership? And most folks say influence. And for me, it's not influence, it's the word reach. You know, what's more important to me is am I reaching, reaching people? And, and because, because platitudes are easy. It's easy for me as the command master chief of an organization, and even on board an aircraft carrier where I, where I may be on the, on the bridge of the ship on the 1MC, and I could be talking about uh, some mission, and then the most junior sailor uh, may, may not be aware at all or, or understand anything I'm talking about. But if I could walk from that bridge down to that junior sailor and talk to that sailor, and that sailor can say, oh yeah, I heard what you said, I understand it, I agree, let's go with this mission, then to me, that's reaching them. And so leadership to me is the ability to reach folks, not, not just, um, and, and for me, reaching is a little bit more personal than influencing. And, and one might even argue that it's semantics, but I, I can tell you that even, you know, context is always different. Words, you know, words may have synonyms, but they're synonyms for a reason. Yeah, and I think your idea of reaching people also goes back to some of the things we've talked about with other people. And it's about connecting with who you are leading rather yes. than just influencing them. Because you could influence them through a, a whole variety of, of ways that might not dictate actual leadership. That's right. Who were some of the big leaders that influenced you or, or people in general who just influenced your career? So I, I'd say the first person was a person that I found out um, a couple years before I retired um, that always wanted to join the Navy and was not able to. And that person influenced my, influenced everything throughout my entire career and that was my mother. My mother uh, gave my brothers and I a foundation that um, became the core of who I was and everything that I aspired to be throughout my career was, I also thought about, am I making her proud? Am I doing this now? As I stated that, um, I never knew my mother wanted to join the Navy until um, the year she passed. We had a conversation and she told me that she was proud of me and my naval service because she always wanted to join the Navy and as in her words, as a girl was not allowed to. And so she was always a fan of me and my Navy career, but she was always, um, she's always she always made sure I conducted myself um, properly. So, um, a lot of folks, uh, I have a lot of, a lot of folks that had, uh, positive influences, but the person I focused on making proud and making sure that I conducted myself, 
in an honorable way was was my mother. So the major influence. Now um, in uniform, OMG. Um, in in uniform, there's uh, a retired. Um, there's a there's a there's an admiral who's who's now retired that uh, was his name is Gene Kendall. Very very influential um, in my career um, when I made chief. I met him when I made chief and and he introduced me to uh, a lot of the uh, ad admirals um, and flag officers that I got to know that are some, a lot of them are in the history books. Um, so there are a lot of, uh, on the illicit side, in fact, here's one for you, a very good friend of mine who is connected to the Bob Feller, the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award is um, Scott Benning. Scott Benning and I are, are very, very good friends. And he um, there was very influential in my career. In fact, you mentioned, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Maxwell earlier. Scott Benning and I are, are we were we were students of Maxwell. Um, gosh, you know, you know, one of my favorite books is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I mean, literally, I mean, that is that's a book that that uh, I've given out as gifts multiple times. But yeah, Scott Benning. I have a long list of folks that were very influential. We had the pleasure to be joined by Chief Benning a few months ago, and he talked about the power of positive leadership on this podcast. What is the best piece of advice you have received? Well, I, I so I, I I go back I go back to um, I go back to my my mother. Um, you know, she uh, I, I I mentioned early the Navy's core values, but. My actual core values the, came from my mom. My mom, my mom made sure that, you know, you know, when it came to, you know, conduct yourself with dignity. And so that was the that was the honorable piece. Always, I remember one time I, I came home on leave with a, and I put on a clip-on earring. Now, not in pierce my ear. It was a clip-on earring. The loop. My mother looked at it. She had just pinned senior chief on me the same year, maybe maybe uh, weeks prior to me coming home. And she looked at that earring and she said, you're a senior chief in the Navy now. Take that out of your ear. I said, mom, it's not pierced. It's a clip on. And she said, I don't, I don't care. And and it wasn't a for her it wasn't a it wasn't a political thing. She was just old school in the sense of um, if now my brother my younger brother his his ears were pierced, but he he wasn't a, he wasn't a uniform guy. So her thing was you're in uniform, then you conduct yourself that way, and um, and and when it came to commitment, she was. If you sign your name to something, if you volunteer for something, anything that you do that has your name associated, you make sure you do your best 
and and you be the best at it. So um, I didn't think I'd be talking about my mother this much, but uh, my foundation from my mom um, guided guided me my 30 years, quite frankly. That's awesome to hear your thoughts on family and some of the influences throughout your career and what it meant to serve in the military um, for 33 years. So we really thank you for taking the time today, um, Brian. Hey, I want to share something with you, if you, if you guys don't mind. And I, I don't know. And in fact, um, this is, and since we're talking about Bob Feller and being a chief, this is something that uh, Scott Benning um, came up with years ago. And, and, and it's about the chief petty officer being the backbone of the Navy. And, and, um, so it kind of breaks, he kind of breaks it down, um, from head to toe, quite frankly. So the head is, is the considered the officers who provide vision, strategy, and direction. The legs are the first class petty officers, which are your legs are your largest muscles and they move the organization. The arms are your second and third class petty officers. There are powerful extensions of the main body. Your fingers and toes are your E3 and junior sailors because they perform all the work. And then your trunk and backbone are the chief petty officers. They're connected to the head and to the work, all of the working extremities, hold the weight of the organization while binding all of the parts cohesively together. They provide the incredible strength, flexibility, speed, and versatility that distinguishes the Navy and annihilates all of our foes. So that's a little bit about the Chief Petty Officer. Yes, sir. That's really cool to hear, too. Uh, we had Terry Spain, who uh, you know, uh, he actually talks about the role of Petty Officers, too. And he was actually the first Chief Petty Officer we had on the podcast. So that was oh, a pretty good. cool experience getting to talk to him about his uh, viewpoints of the role of the chief petty officer in the Navy. I, I got, I got one more for you. Um, I talked to, um, Gene Cern, who was the last man to walk on the moon. And I believe it was either in 2009 or 2010. And, and I was on board the carrier and I hosted actually him, Jim Lovell, uh, Jim Lovell is Houston. We got a problem. And, uh, Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. I hosted those three guys for breakfast on board the um, Dwight D. Eisenhower's command master chief. And in talking to Gene Cernan, Gene Cernan looked at me and said, everything that I learned about being an astronaut, I learned from my chief, my first chief petty officer. That's really cool. I didn't know he was in the Navy. He wasn't. Well, actually, actually he was. All three of those guys are Naval aviators. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a really cool experience. How did you uh, end up meeting Neil Armstrong and Gene? So they came on board the ship. They were doing a uh, Legends of Aerospace tour. And whenever distinguished visitors come on on board the carrier, and definitely on board our carrier, they'd have dinner with the admiral, and they always had breakfast with me, the command master chief. 
And so um, uh, another separate story, we actually pinned Neil Armstrong's astronaut wings on him um, that day that he was on board the ship. Because when he was a astronaut, uh, naval astronaut wings did not exist. So when he came on board the ship with Jim Lovell um, Gene, and Gene Cernan, um, uh, we pinned on the, I say we, but the commanding officer pinned, pinned his wings on him. So that was an honor. That was, and it was awesome. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time talking to all three of them. Yeah, I can only imagine getting to sit at a table with people who have been to outer space and, and on the moon. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was one of the uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about being the command master chief at, at uh, the PEO ships and on board the carrier um, was the folks that I had at a, the legendary folks that I that I got to meet. So we named the ship after John Glenn and um, before he passed. And so I have a personal letter from him um, because I escorted uh, his wife to an event and he wrote me a personal letter. So um, I, uh, um, Medgar Evers, I'm not sure if you've heard of him. In fact, in fact, you've had Ray Mabus Yes, sir. Yeah, we did. We did have a, a fun conversation with him. So Secretary Mabus named the Mega Revers. Now, there's a long story behind him naming the Mega Revers, the ship after Mega Revers, which he made a promise to Mrs. Murley Evers that he was going to do that. And so um, I was at, I was a command master chief at PEO Ships when that decision was made. And when we I met Mrs. Murley Evers when we launched the ship and then uh, later christened the ship. And that particular ship we used to launch and christen at the same time, but that particular ship, we launched it on one day and christened it another day. And the day that we actually launched it, the very same time that we were launching that ship, uh, TNT was airing the movie, The Ghost of Mississippi, at the exact same time. And I don't believe there was any coordination by the Navy. And the only reason why I know that was because I called my daughter and she told me that um, she was watching the movie because I told my daughter that I was with Mrs. Murley Evers. And my daughter said, that is so cool. I am watching this movie right now. So would you say, I mean, out of, it might be kind of hard to beat Neil Armstrong, uh, but who were some other cool guests? Did you have any other guests that stood out that you had breakfast with on the oh, ship? Wow. So the entire cat, not the entire cast, but um, James Cameron and, the, and, the, and um, John Lang, Michelle Rodriguez from um, Avatar, so when the movie Avatar was released, we went on deployment. So they did a deal, I guess they did a USO tour. And John Lang was the guy who said, you're not in Kansas anymore from the movie Avatar. And um, so they came. 
I had breakfast with them. Um, I've also met uh, Gene Krantz also, which he is, failure is not an option. So another part of that Legends of Aerospace. Um, so I've met him. Um, I've, I've met the um, first lady at the time, Mrs. Michelle Obama. Um, I've, I've had uh, um, General Bolden, who was, he was an astronaut also. A bunch, a bunch of, a bunch of different folks. In yeah, it fact, sounds like it. Uh, Bruce Smith. So are you a Washington football team guy? No, sir. Actually, I'm a, I'm a Cleveland sports guy. <laughs> so Bruce Smith, um, before he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, he was going to be my guest on board the Dwight D. Eisenhower. And he, um, um, he had a, I think, a loss in his family. I think his brother-in-law passed away. And he couldn't get underway with us. And then he was inducted in the Hall of Fame uh, right after that. So yeah, a bunch of bunch of other folks from and and that include heads of state as well uh, on board the ship. So I've actually um, met a lot of the different uh, CEOs of different companies, a lot of the different. Uh, uh, um, high-level politicians that have come on board the ship or or at the different uh, commissionings, commissionings and uh, um, christenings. My, one of my favorite ones is, is the family of um, Admiral Zumwalt. So I learned a lot about Admiral Zumwalt when we, uh, when we named that ship. When we come, when we when we christened that ship, and even the killings. So I used to attend killings, christenings, and commissionings. That's so awesome. That's that's really cool. That's a lot of cool experiences that a lot of people um, certainly don't get to have. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. What did you learn from some of these people? Oh, each each one. Um, each one has a lesson within their legacy that is connected to courage and courage in some way. Um, you, you take again, uh, uh, Meg Revers. I mean, look at, um, look at what he did in his life and he was assassinated, you know, um, the legends of aerospace, John Glenn and, 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 um, and um, Neil Armstrong. Um, every ship is named after a person that has a story that goes with them. And so legacy, I, I, you know, I didn't mention that as a word that is definitely connected to leadership, but I, I wish more leaders today would think about their legacy and I, and I think I go back to my mom. My mother reinforced that message always. Your legacy is very important. 
you know, and, and you're late. <laughs> a lot of times we think we have to, we're a part of writing history every day. So as leaders, we need to be mindful of the legacy that we leave, the way we speak, what we say. Um, I think being magnanimous is a major, major, major part of leadership, um, leadership conduct. It goes to your character, you know? And so all of that's connected to legacy. What people remember, how you're remembered. What's your stamp on you know, the world as a leader. Hello, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with retired Navy Command Master Chief Brian Exum. The Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation invites you to virtually attend the 8th Annual Award Ceremony on November 19th of 2020 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The recipients are Mr. Craig Stammen, Mr. Brooks Robinson, Master Sergeant Herman Kruppa, Aviation Ordnanceman Chief Lacretia Lodell, the USS America Junior Enlisted Association, and Training Support Center Great Lakes Chapter of the Coalition of Sailors Against Destructive Decisions. You can register for the free event in advance at activevaloraward.org under events. The next edition of the American Valor Podcast will feature Mr. John Shostakovsky, Vice President of Communications and Education for the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Thank you for listening.